This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're here in the middle of June, which is the month, well, it's the beginning of June, but it's the month that we uh, focus on and celebrate and meditate on the sacred heart of Jesus. And of course, there's a couple other feasts and solemnities that go on here in the middle, uh, but we're focusing on Jesus' sacred heart. Uh, and as I've been looking at that, I, I, there's this term that got thrown around when I was, uh, when I was growing up, uh, the bleeding heart, right? That bleeding heart person over there. And it was always used as a derogatory term. And it, and up until, I mean, quite recently, after even multiple years being a Catholic, only recently did I realize that the origin of that term, the bleeding heart, is the picture of the sacred heart, of Christ and his sacred heart and his compassion for all humanity. And so in the same way that the, the Christians were first called Christians in Antioch, and that term was a term that was given in derision, which the church then adopted— so too, this term of, uh, oh, you're just a bleeding heart, this is given in derision because you look like Christ, this sacred heart. Uh, and so I, I've been thinking about this a lot this week and asking the question, what does it mean for me, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, to emulate Christ in his sacred heart? What does it look like for me to have that kind of compassion uh, for for the dignity of the human person all the, all around me. So to have this conversation, I have invited our, our good friend, uh, Deacon Charles Beard, who we've had on the show multiple times. You can find the other times he's appeared on the show by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the guest list in the navigation bar, finding his name, Deacon Charles Beard. Uh, click on it, and there you'll see all the other wonderful insights he's had over the years. Deacon, it's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's great to be back, T.L. Don't, don't, don't. Don't build me up. Wonderful insight. That's, uh, <laughs> you're, 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 you're setting me up, and, and then I'm just going to fall right off that horse. You know what? It'll give you humility. It's all good. Um, That's true. So you're currently serving at St. Pius X Catholic Church in Tulsa, uh, but you've also, for a number of years, worked with Catholic Worker. You've been involved in those uh, ministries and outreaches of the church that are focused on caring for the needs of the community and caring for the needs of the poor. So I'm curious— as you hear the term, the sacred heart of Jesus, and you meditate on that here in this month of, of June, what are the pictures that strike your mind uh, as you hear that, that title of Jesus being used? The first thing that comes to mind is a, is a saying that, that John the Twenty Third used to use when he was uh, asked about what it's like to govern the Vatican. Um, and it sounds like a joke, but I think there's a serious point behind it. Uh, he, he would be asked, what's it like to, to pope, to govern the Vatican? And he says, one must see everything, ignore a great deal, and correct a little. Uh, and that's pretty much exactly how Jesus approaches us. Um, he comes to us and knows everything we've ever done. He knows exactly who we are. He knows the, the secrets that we don't even really want to admit to ourselves, and all of us have those. Um, but he doesn't come as a judge. He comes prepared to overlook that. 
so that we can come close to him and only then does he begin to correct us a little bit at a time. Um, and that's not only painfully slow, it's also uh, terribly naive um, because if you know people, you know that people don't take kindly to being asked to change. Uh, we are extraordinarily bad at developing new good habits. And yet Jesus refuses to approach us in any other way. Um, so uh, there, the thing about the thing about the Sacred Heart is that it's kind of intentionally vulnerable. Jesus opens himself up and he's welcoming us into the most intimate part of himself. And when you open yourself up to anyone, when you love anyone, um, there's the possibility that that they will, you know, refuse to love you back or hurt you. And he says, I am willing to take the risk of letting you hurt me because I love you uh, that much. And so, uh, it, at least for most of us, that that's that's a great comfort when it's being done to us. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a great challenge when he says to us, now go and do likewise. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the, the sacred heart is a, is a comfort, but it's also, um, it, it, it's also hard because as we are Christ ourselves, we have to be willing to open our own hearts up. Um, and that, that means possibly uh, being, becoming naive ourselves. I recall this, um, this event before I was Catholic, uh, I was in a mainline denomination. We still did, uh, some things that felt very liturgical and every time before we had communion, of course we had it once a month because that's when you do it as at least in my, in my former tradition, uh, sure. we'd, we'd have communion once a month and there was a very similar liturgy to the Eucharistic liturgy that, that we celebrate here in the Catholic church. And part of that was, um, a, confidior of sorts, right? It was a different prayer. Um, I've not loved you with my, we've not loved you with our whole heart. We've failed to be an obedient church. We've broken your law. We've not done your will, right? That whole, that whole thing. And I remember the day uh, in probably in middle school that I was able to personally pray that prayer and acknowledge that those things were not just a we that we prayed as a church, but they were a me, Right. Right. I've broken your law. I've not done your will. I've failed to be an obedient church and kind of owned that. And I, I, I don't know if it was during the service or if it was after, but, um, I looked at my, at my mother and I said, why, why don't people take this seriously? <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Her response to me was, well, just because you haven't yet doesn't mean that others Others aren't. And I think there's this sense of when we become convicted of something, uh, we want one, we assume that no one else has ever been convicted of it before. But two, we assume that everyone should be right where we are at that moment, even though it took us who knows how long to get to that place. Right. We want someone to, to share our sense of conviction uh, with the same force that we are currently um, observing that. You were fortunate to have that happen to you in middle school. This is only tangentially related, but we the bishop just came and did confirmations at the end of last month, um, and uh, so we had what fifteen or eighteen teenagers 
get confirmed. Uh, but we also had um, two adults get confirmed, one in her one in her mid-30s, and it just was one of those things that just never quite happened. And, but the other was 66 years old. And uh, and I asked him, like, why, why? I know that you're a cradle Catholic. I know your family's Catholic. What gives? And he said, well, I was 14 and was ready to do it. And then my dad decided to stop going to church. And so I said, well, if dad's not going to church, then I'm not going to go to church. Yeah. And it took until he was 66 years old to get convicted and to say, ah, I need the Holy Spirit to come on me in this, in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, you're, you're, you're fortunate that, that you were convicted of that at an early age. But back to that other point, it does seem like right. we really want, uh, we want people to be where we are, right? We want them to have, uh, it, it's almost like we have a difficult time believing or understanding that people aren't on the same point in the journey that we are. Right. That's a, that, that, that's exactly true. So as we're here in this month of the sacred heart, what can we, maybe what can we add to our prayer intentions? What can we add to our practice that will help us to begin to see that aspect of how Christ deals towards us, maybe see it more clearly so that we can begin to emulate it for others? There's the traditional devotion of, of enthroning the Sacred Heart, which which I recommend. Um, but the, actually, the thing that I think is probably most most pertinent to to the vulnerability of Christ uh, and applying the vulnerability to ourselves is the Anima Christi, Soul of Christ, sanctify me; Body of Christ, save me; Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Um, you know, I I uh, was recently reading a book by. Eve Tushnet, um, oh gosh, what was the name of that book? Tenderness. It was quite good. Um, but uh, but she she said she said that in the book that she she prays that prayer and um, uh, blood of Christ inebriates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she's a recovering alcoholic, and so she let me be drunk on nothing except Christ. Uh, and when Jesus pours Himself out for us, we we are perfectly willing to to accept that that gift only now we have to then give out give that out to others so let a you know if if the water from the side of christ is going to wash me and purify me of my sins that will only happen if i am also willing to forgive or or purify in a sense someone else's sins mm-hmm. so praying that prayer and then asking ourselves okay what does that look like so that it, this is not just a pious nothing that i'm saying um, could be a useful practice. When, when I hear that term, um, blood of Christ inebriate me, I, I go back to the second chapter of Acts, to Pentecost, where the people see the disciples of Jesus. They've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going and uh, boldly proclaiming the, the truth of the gospel to everyone that will listen. And the people look at them and say, these, these men are drunk. To which the response is, it's only it's only the six a.m. Why would they Why would they already be drunk? Um, but this idea, and it, Paul brings it in as well as he talks about, if we're fools, we're fools for Christ. Um, to say that here in this moment, I don't care what it looks like to the outside, and and I I don't I'm not being. Uh, overly controlling of my own actions and my own uh, my own thoughts at this moment. I'm giving myself 
with abandon over to the Holy Spirit to do with as he will. It's, it's um, yeah, as you put it, it's vulnerable, but it's also just this abandonment to whatever, whatever the will of the Holy Spirit, whatever the heart of Christ is directing us towards. Yeah, uh, when you say Paul uh, says, if we're fools, we're fools for Christ. He says that the cross is, uh, oh gosh, folly to the Greeks and madness to the Jews or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I think that connects back to what you're talking about, bleeding heart being a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. Um, I know someone who used to say that we have to, uh, for example, always be armed. And this particular person is, is always carrying um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but he's doing it because, and he literally said this, you can't just love everybody, love the evil out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hear that. I'm like, well, that's what God does to us. Yeah. Um, and it's really naive of God because uh, he knows what we're like. Um, shouldn't the cross encourage us to at least approach life in such a way that we could love the evil out of everybody? Uh, is that possible? Is it naive? Well, you know, maybe, but that's how Christ does it. And that's always a trick of uh, of discerning the spiritual life for each individual person is to say, what is it that, that God wants me to do in this moment? How am I to live out Christ in this moment and in, and in my station of life, right? Uh, so for the, the single person versus a family, it might be lived out differently. And yet the same is true that we're to emulate that naive, vulnerable love of Christ um, to, to everyone around us. And how that plays out might look different and actually will look different one, from one person to another, But going back to Paul, there's this phrase that's actually at the Catholic Charities in Tulsa. It is inscribed on the altar um, and chiseled into the the marble that the love of God urges us on, that the love of Christ actually compels us to act in a way that cares for the dignity and for the needs of those who are around us. Yeah, and because the, the love of Christ compels us, urges us, uh, we we need not be afraid of doing it badly. I, I think I don't I don't know how common this is, but I I know that I can get paralysis by analysis on okay, what does loving Christ look like when I have say competing needs? You know, uh, so in my case, family versus job versus church ministry versus uh, direct service to the poor. It, you know, and everyone has their own version of that. Um, uh, and and so the I don't want to I don't necessarily want to say the worldly thing to do, but perhaps the the automatic thing to do would be to to follow the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. um, do the thing that will get you into the least amount of immediate trouble. Um, but because we're afraid of doing something wrong or doing something badly, uh, it's not worth doing. Don't do it at all, etc. Um, but if the love of Christ compels us, we can't not do something. So yes, we need to exercise the virtue of prudence. But uh, graced prudence is not the same thing as the world's prudence. Um, and so we just we just keep on going. We make a decision and stick with it, and and continue to be attentive to the moves of the Holy Spirit when he's ready for us to make a change. 
So as you're talking here, I took a step back um, and, and I'm looking at this situation of what it means for us to be meditating on the sacred heart, to have the love of Christ compel us. And there's a story that Sherry Waddell tells in Forming Intentional Disciples, brilliant book, wherein she's having this conversation with a person who's been in the church for her whole life. And she's asking her about the ministry she's involved in and asking her about her relationship with Christ. And in that uh, interview with this person, she could tell all about the ministries that she had done and the tasks that she had done, but she couldn't really describe what her relationship with Christ was. Uh, and, and it came out through the course of that conversation that this person had never really had an encounter with, with the sacred heart of Jesus, with the love of God specifically directed towards them, with Christ's tenderness. Um, they had a, a they heard the words, they heard that Christ loved them. They heard through all of the times that they'd been to Mass. They had been sacramentalized. They had been uh, working in ministry uh, in a prominent position in the church, but they couldn't describe what it was to receive the love of God. And so even as we're talking about the importance of, of service to the poor, if it's just a task to be done, if it is not the love of Christ that urges us on, then it is a burden. Uh, it's something that we have to check off in order to get rid of our Catholic guilt. And so even taking a step back before we can get to that place where we emulate the bleeding heart of Christ as bleeding hearts for those around us, we first have to really experience what does it mean that Christ is tender? So going back to that first thing that you said, that uh, that Pope John the Twenty Third, uh, you you see everything, you ignore a lot, and you correct a little. Let's talk about what's a, maybe an experience in your own life that you're willing to share with us where you have experienced that kind of tenderness from Christ himself. Uh, well, uh, well, without getting too personal, I think one thing that comes to mind is when we were running the, the hospitality house with Catholic Worker, um, it was a, you can look back at my old episodes if you want to know more. Mm -hmm. Um but we, we'd had it at that point for eight months. Um, and I was staying at my parents' house in Houston. The house was in Tulsa and something happened in the house. I don't remember what it was, but it was very stressful. And I had to drive back from Houston, which is about, it should be a seven hour drive between traffic and kids. So I have to go to the bathroom. It was like a 10 and a half hour drive. And, and then I had to go immediately to the house to take care of whatever this was. Um, so I dropped everyone off and I went to the house and, um, and I, <laughs> it involved waiting. So I go into the house. There was a guy who, who was living there. Uh, God, God bless him. He, uh, he could be a little bit difficult to deal with sometimes. So I, I sat on the couch to wait for whatever it was that I was supposed to wait for. And made it very clear to this guy, I have just been on the road for 10 and a half hours and I want to be left alone. Um, and he would not leave me alone. Um, he, he, he said, Hey, I got a question about purgatory. And he asked me some question about like, like some seventh grade question about purgatory. And so, and, but we wound up having, we wound up talking for about 45 minutes. Um, about just different stuff, mostly mostly related to the faith. And 
at the end of the conversation, I wasn't tired anymore. And, and it, it occurred to me that, that, that Christ came to me in the person of that man at the time when I really didn't want to be bothered by anything holy. I just, I just wanted to tick off that box and fulfill the task and then go home. Um, and I, I knew that I would, that I was doing the right thing by being involved in this ministry. I, I was where God wanted me to be. Um, and in the middle of that stressful situation, whichever, whatever it was, I just remember being very stressed out about it. Um, it was a, it was a good thing to hear from Christ. So out of that story, um, because we're talking about the sacred heart and, and Christ came to you and waited with you. How did you experience in that moment, this tenderness and this vulnerability that, that gave you the strength or, or, or urged you to that service, uh, either at that time or at a later time? It, I, w- I would say in two ways. Uh, the, the first in, um, in my interlocutor's complete lack of self-awareness. He had no idea how badly he was annoying me. Um, and, and yet there was a, a forthrightness and a, and a lack of guile in his question that could only be from God. Um, and, and secondly, just it, I experienced Christ's vulnerability in my own vulnerability. I was tired. I was stressed out. I, you know, oh, the the reason that I was there was a guest had gone missing and I had to file a police report about it. Mm. That's what it was. And then three weeks later, he wound up in the paper shaking hands with the mayor as part of the homeless prevention program, something because I was tired and because he was so he, my friend was so, so as I said, guileless, in, in his, in his lack of awareness. Um, I, I, I felt, felt isn't quite the right word. I, I experienced something where the, the barrier broke between this world and the next. That sounds very woo. Uh, it wasn't that profound, but I knew that God was there. Mm-hmm. I, I find for myself that the times that I, I most experience, um, the, the tenderness of God. And I'm, I'm even, even here, I still am not sure I completely uh, grasp it as if anyone could, but the times that I most experience Christ are when I am sitting in adoration and no one else is there. So whether that's late at night or however it works uh, in times of stress or distress, uh, going and sitting in Eucharistic adoration and sitting in the silence and just kind of feeling the presence of Christ as you would experience the tide, right? Just kind of coming in a little bit at a time. Um, not in any kind of profound way or, or conversation with others or, or epiphany, but just that, that here I am kind of presence. And, and it's in those moments that you gain maybe clarity, maybe perspective, maybe confidence or calm to be able to go and do anything else. If it weren't for that presence of Christ, uh, everything else would just be tedium. 
But right. But with that, with that acknowledgement that Christ is here, whether that's with a person that you're sitting in front of or whether that's in the Eucharist, then all of a sudden these tasks or the the dignity of the human person that's right in front of you, all of a sudden it's not a task, it's an experience to be lived in. Right. I, 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 think, I think that's key to, have, to, to spend time kind of specifically in, in prayer. Um, and in, I guess, traditional prayer, what one thinks of as praying, um, and not in the the prayer that comes through action. Um, you know, when when Christ sends the apostles out and they come back, he says, "Okay, now come away and pray for a little bit. You have to recharge." Um, there was, uh, oh, I can't think of who the saint was, um, but he said that it's important to be a reservoir of grace and not a river. Um, because the reservoir fills up and keeps some for itself. The river, everything just flows through it. Um, now, a reservoir eventually does fill up and then overflows. And that's what the love of Christ compels us to do. We can't, we can't not do things because we're, because we, you know, we're, we're, we're a reservoir. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need to, to maintain that contact uh, in, Direct prayer and adoration is, I think, a really key way. When when I go to adoration, I will either read a book or fall asleep. Um, and both are uh, holy activities. Both are holy activities. <laughs> uh, it's, it's 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 apparently what the Lord says I need. I mm-hmm. it has happened on more than one occasion where I have been in adoration and uh, actually lay down and not in like you know, in ecstasy or something like that. I just like, ah, this chair's not doing it for me. I'll lay down and I will fall asleep in front of Christ. It's, <laughs> and it's kind of wonderful, especially when I get woken up by a little old lady an hour later. You know, we laugh at that, but I, I think that there's something to that that truly is holy in, in terms of uh, oftentimes, at least for me, when I go to adoration, I am going with concerns, with things that I want to lay before uh, the the feet of Jesus in prayer, and so a, a lot of times I'm coming with anxiety or with uh, with deep concern, and this speaks to that vulnerability of being able to come before Jesus and then receive His peace to the extent that I'm able actually to let go of those worries and actually rest in His presence. Um, I, I think that a lot of times we carry guilt for that. And yet this is even in that place sitting before or laying before God's presence, there is a, a deep grace involved in that. And maybe it's not the deepest meditation, but it is this abandonment and, uh, and vulnerability before the throne that I think we can all stand to, uh, to, to practice from time to time. We're talking today with Deacon Charles Beard of the Diocese of Tulsa, where he serves at uh, SPX, St. Pius X Church there in Tulsa. We're going to continue this conversation around the Sacred Heart, how we experience it, and how we pass it on to others when we come back from this break. Be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come tell me about how you observe the month of the Sacred Heart. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Deacon Charles Beard of the Diocese of Tulsa, where he serves at SPX, St. Pius X Church in Tulsa. And we are talking about the Sacred Heart of Jesus here in this month of June, where we mark and celebrate and meditate on the Sacred Heart and maybe trying to dig in and understand it a little bit more. First of all and foremost, to recognize the tenderness that Christ has towards us. Uh, but then also out of that, this uh, this passage out of uh, St. Paul that says the love of Christ urges us on, what does it look like for us to emulate that bleeding heart of Christ in our own care and compassion for those who are around us? Uh, right before the break, Deacon Charles, you mentioned uh, that one of the saints who you could not recall, and, and I don't either, uh, that it's important to be reservoirs of grace and not just rivers of grace, that the reservoir uh, keeps some of that grace for itself so that it can live out this grace. The picture that came to my mind, though, is uh, when you dam up a river, there is something profound that happens when, hopefully when you do it properly, um, but when you dam up a river, you change the ecosystem, right? There, there is profound change that takes place to the ground uh, and also to the animals and and creatures that live there around it. Uh, the different kinds of greenery grow up, right? And where I'm going with this is, I think that all of us have the capacity to be riverbeds, right? We are going to channel something. And we can either uh, be dry riverbreds that are that are of very little use, or we can channel the grace of God through us. Or as a reservoir, something that happens there is that the character of that riverbed changes dramatically. It hosts different kinds of life. And I think that that's maybe what we're called to do as we experience that tenderness and translate it on is also to allow it to change us. Right? It's, we're not just utilitarian. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a minister of reconciliation. I'm going to translate God's grace onto others. That grace has a profound impact on us as well, that we are transformed more and more by God's grace coming to us and through us to others. I, I did not know that about dams, uh, which is but it's a, it's a certainly a... a, a really a lovely image um years ago uh i was talking about different virtues with uh with a friend of mine who's now who's now a deacon um and he he said said something and i i alluded to this earlier with uh graced prudence and ungraced prudence he said that without grace you can you can certainly have virtues you can you can be just you can give people what they deserve you can um you can be you can be prudent, you can be courageous, uh, et cetera. Um, and actually the example he gave was of temperance. He said that, you know, in natural temperance is you don't eat too much, you don't eat too little, you know, you're, you're a healthy body. And so in that case, someone like St. Anthony of the desert or any sort of ascetic makes no sense. He is, he is intemperate because he is eating, he is eating too little. Mm -hmm. And yet because of grace, his, Temperance, he was temperate. It just, his temperance looked entirely different. Um, so if we're talking about the love of Christ compelling us, 
um, sometimes that looks like uh, uh, foolhardiness, you know, which is the opposite or not the opposite, but the excess of courage mm -hmm. where you, you know, you're running into the, to the burning building when you have no, no training as a fireman. Um, so that certainly that is not courageous. That is, that is, that is foolhardy. And so we, we are sometimes afraid of appearing foolhardy or being foolhardy or doing the wrong thing. And so we do nothing. Yep. So from the outside, grace seems like foolhardiness where we, uh, we're always kind of sticking our nose in where according to the world, it doesn't belong. But love of our neighbor means being there for our neighbor. And so that is, if we're afraid of that, and that's what Christ is compelling us to do. That's not foolhardiness. That is actually the virtue of courage. Um, so grace uh, changes us, and that enables us to go on and change the world. Coming back to this concept of abandonment to divine providence, uh, that I, the person who has training as a fire fireman, when they run into the burning building, they have confidence in their training and in their knowledge of the situation to be able to rightly uh, rightly make their way through safely and, and rescue others. Uh, the person you just continuing to use that metaphor, uh, the person who has the assurance of Christ's presence with them, while they have maybe an accurate picture of their own inability, have a, a, a confidence in the ability of Christ and his companionship and accompaniment in that moment that it looks foolhardy to everyone else because here's a person with no training and no, uh, you know, I, I'm going to leave that to the experts. Well, no, I have Christ with me and Christ is drawing me into this. I'm going to run in after that. Um, don't actually run into a burning building. This is just a metaphor, but this that, is just a metaphor, but this confidence, this confidence is not in our own abilities as it would be with that trained professional, but it's in the fact that Christ is with us and will not, will not abandon us. Yeah, the uh, to to continue to extend this metaphor almost to the breaking point. Um, the, the 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 fireman is is you know there aren't actually that many burning buildings, right? So so a fireman is is always training and drilling and etc. So the fireman may not trust himself, mm -hmm. um, but he trusts the training and he trusts the muscle memory, I guess. Right. Um, so even if his conscious mind is not prepared to run into the burning building. He still does because the training will be there. Well, grace is that training. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, that's how it changes us. Our conscious mind may, may still say, oh no, this is, this is crazy. This is naive. This is, um, this is bleeding heart. Um, and yet grace compels us to go ahead and do it anyway. Interestingly, while sometimes we use that term, uh, you know, that, that person's just a bleeding heart as a way to dismiss that kind of, of naive care and concern for the poor, uh, naive, of course, as a graced naivety. Um, at the same time, the, our entertainment uh, is such that we celebrate that kind of heroism, that heroism that looks out for the good of others without any regard for one's own personal safety, so much so that we have, you know, Marvel's the big deal right now. All these superheroes can do that with care and concern for others uh, and save the world uh, uh, because 
they, uh, being superheroes, have no fear for their own safety because they're, you know, super powered. We, however, are graced. Uh, and in that grace, we ought to have that same kind of confidence to look to the needs of others without regard to whether or not we're going to be okay because we trust in the grace of God. Um, of course, that, that we're not going to go off and, uh, you know, lift buildings or, or fly around. And yet at the same time, we have this power of the Holy Spirit that was given to us through uh, Pentecost, through confirmation, that allows us to do things that in the Spirit that we couldn't even fathom before. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's 100% true. Um, if I may say flippantly, but I don't really mean it flippantly, in the Marvel Universe, the superheroes never stay dead. Um, and perhaps uh, because of grace, we also will not either, because Christ already hasn't. So we come to this place as we're meditating in June on the Sacred Heart, where we uh, seek out that tenderness of God, whether it be through our encounters with others, whether it be through times of prayer, whether it be through times of adoration. We come to this place where we pray for an increased understanding and awareness of the tenderness and love of God for us. And now we, through that same spirit, uh, are drawn into mission, the love of Christ compelling us uh, to look for those who are on the edges. So that being the case, here in the month of the Sacred Heart, uh, what are some things that we can do to take baby steps into uh, living out this Sacred Heart for others? I don't know what baby steps look like for for your your listeners. Um, I, I think one mistake I made when I first got involved in Catholic Workers, I, I fell so in love with Dorothy Day and her vision of voluntary poverty and um, radical solidarity and all of these things, which are which are uh, good. But I mean, certainly they they are good. They're kind of they're what I try to base my life on. But I, I I did so in such a way that I thought, well, this is my charism, therefore it must be everyone's. That same thing we were um, talking about earlier of everyone needs to be exactly as passionate as I am and, and right where I am on my journey. It, it, exactly. So so I, I hesitate to to give specific advice. Um, so so if I could just speak very generally, choose your um, own adventure. <laughs> Know that whatever those baby steps are, it's going to seem terrifying, um, even though it's just a baby step. So the baby step is going to be, uh, it's going to seem bigger than you think a baby step should be. Um, and so if you, if you recognize that fear in yourself, um, that might be, it only might be, where you you ought to be, where you should make that next step. That 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 feeling in your gut of, oh, this sounds good, but I don't know if I should. That, at least potentially, is the Holy Spirit saying, "This is your baby step, and do that." Don't do it rashly, but don't do it with a lack of prudence. But that's maybe find where that thing is, and. Go from there. And to add to that, I think that that this is the kind of thing that is discerned through prayer, right? You, yes. 
when you go to God in prayer and you say, okay, I want to experience your tenderness and I want to find the way that I can share that tenderness with others. And you ask that in prayer, the answer will come through an impression, through uh, a, a, a quick thought, through this urging, right? The love of Christ compels us. Uh, and it'll feel like a huge thing, but there will also be peace with it. Right? Christ is going to answer that prayer because that's ultimately his will for us, that we know and share the love of God. And, and in a small way, it, and this, this may not seem like the love of Christ urging us on, uh, but to your point about prayer uh, and, and having fleeting thoughts, I, I recall one time when I was in adoration and I, I had a, a fleeting thought of someone I went to college with that I hadn't thought of in a long time. She, she was not something I, she was not somebody that I was particularly close with or just, you know, um, and I thought, Oh, that was weird. Hmm. Um, but I was attentive to the weirdness. Um, and I said a prayer for her and kind of moved on. I, but uh, I reached out to her shortly after that. And we wound up having a very nice conversation We're again, we're not in close touch. It's not like, and now, now she's my best friend. Hmm. Um, but, but I think be attentive to those small moments, not only because sometimes that's the, the, as I was talking about the, the gut, oh, I don't know if I should. It could simply just be, that's a bit strange. Let's explore this. Let's see if God is in this strangeness. Um, and that may be a, 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 another baby step. I like that picture because uh, it, it calls to mind Moses walking through the wilderness and seeing this bush that was burning and was not being consumed. And he says, this is a strange sight. And he turned aside <laughs> to see what it was uh, to be attentive to the weirdness and say, maybe, maybe God will be found on this weirdness. And of course for him, it most certainly was. Yes. And the world was never the same. And that same thing is true of us as we turn aside to see this strange thing, as we are attentive to the voice of the Holy spirit given to us, given to the church at Pentecost, given to us at our confirmation. So when we attune our ears to hear that voice, to see that strange thing, to turn aside and see if we can see God in that weirdness, the world, again, will never be the same. We've been talking today with Deacon Charles Beard. He's a deacon of the Diocese of Tulsa, where he serves at SPX, St. Pius X Church there in Tulsa. Uh, deacon Charles, it's always, always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always a pleasure to you. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Deacon Charles Beard or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And each and every week, there's always more to the conversation that we give to those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we like to give them a couple extra questions with the guest. And it's always a fun extra segment when Deacon Charles is here because we just get along so well. And sometimes we go a little bit off the rails, uh, off the topic. And of course, that's uh, this week is no exception. If you want to learn more about that Patreon support community and the extra segments, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. And then right there in the navigation bar, you can see the link that says Patreon. Just follow that link to find all the goodies. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. 
That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism and fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. To learn more, go to Verbum.com. Today's reading from scripture comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 5. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others but we are clearly apparent to God, and I hope we are also apparent to your consciousness. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast of us so that you may have something to say to those who boast of external appearance rather than of the heart. For if we are out of our minds, it is for God. If we are rational, it is for you. For the love of Christ impels us once we have come to the conviction that one died for all, therefore all have died. If indeed he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Consequently, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him so no longer. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God were appealing through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That reading comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians at a chapter 5. And first of all, first and foremost, as I was referencing these verses earlier in the episode, uh, I mentioned a couple of these passages. One, um, the the love of Christ compels us or impels us, depending on the translation. Uh, The other being, if we're out of our minds, it's for Christ. Uh, (laughs) I did not recall when I was bringing them up that those verses were back to back. And yet here they are as we read them together. Um... If we're out of our minds, as Christ's love impels us, uh, this is this is for the sake of Christ. So a couple of things that I wanted to, to point out that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about uh, is when we are compelled or impelled or, or in some ver- translations it says controlled or urged, whatever the case is, if we are so controlled by the love of God— Uh, The result that Paul says we will see is that, consequently, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, he goes on to say, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And I think that some might be able to read that as to say, well, we don't regard people who are new creations according to the flesh. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says we regard no one according to the flesh, even if we once knew Christ uh, according to the flesh, yet we do so no longer. And I see that uh, that moving into anyone who is in Christ as a new creation 
as speaking of us and our ability to look at others and to judge no one according to the flesh, right? We know and further on in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter five, we see that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that that the other person is not our enemy, that no person is our enemy. Uh, and rather, we see then the humanity, we see the image of God in other people. And that enables us then as we, as we regard them according to the spirit instead of according to the flesh, according to the image of God, rather than maybe even their actions that we see, that brings us to a place where we can reach out and be ministers, be reservoirs that then overflow and, and in a sense, irrigate the world with this message of reconciliation. And so going back to what we talked about earlier in the show, we start by receiving the love of God, acknowledging that Christ came and died for us, for us corporately and for us individually, experiencing that love, becoming convicted of that love, so that then, consequently from that, we can be controlled and impelled and, uh, and urged to be ministers of reconciliation to the world. Our reading from church history is a homily, a 34th homily on Genesis by St. John Chrysostom, and he references this passage. So let's continue as we hear the words of St. John Chrysostom. Let us therefore not prove ungrateful, nor render ourselves unworthy of such wonderful gifts, but rather love our Lord as we ought, and do nothing to impair his favorable regard for us. After all, it wasn't we ourselves who initiated the process, was it? He took the initiative in displaying towards us his great love beyond all telling. So would it not be absurd for us not to love as far as lies in our power, the one who loves us so much? You see, for love of us he endured everything without demure, being torn, as it were, from the paternal bosom, and willing to take the form of a slave, passing through every human experience, submitting to abuse and indignity at the hands of others, and finally accepting the cross, the most shameful death, so that he might set us free through faith in him as we go crawling on the earth and weighed down with countless burden of sins. All of this, in fact, Blessed Paul had in mind that fervent lover of Christ, who like a winged bird traversed the whole world, who in his zeal gave evidence of the faculties of incorporeal creatures, though in bodily form himself and thus minded, he shouted aloud, the love of Christ, you see, constrains us. See his uprightness. See the extraordinary degree of his virtue. See his fervent love. The love of Christ, he says, constrains us, that is, urges, impels, coerces us. Then, wishing to explain what had been said by him, he says, convinced of this, that if one person died for all, then all have died. He did die for all, so that the living might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose for them. Do you see how appropriate it was for him to say, the love of Christ constrains us? He is saying, you see, if he died for the sake of us all, 
He died for the purpose that the living might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose for us. Accordingly, let us heed the apostolic exhortation, not living for ourselves, but for him who died and rose for us. How, you might say, will we be able to avoid living for ourselves? Listen to this blessed man's words again. Now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See how while still striding on earth and clad in mortal flesh, he was in the condition of a dweller in heaven who lives in the company of incorporeal creatures. Hence, he said further in another place, Now those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. So this is what is meant by not living for ourselves, but for the one who died and rose for us. When we are in this life like corpses and are not distracted by any visible realities, you see, the reason the Lord was crucified was that we might exchange this life for the next, or rather, that we might through this life earn the next for ourselves. The present life, after all, provided we are prepared to be sober and alert, leads us to the enjoyment of eternal life. And we will be able, if we are willing to maintain some little vigilance and open wide our mind's eye to keep alive in ourselves through every eventuality some understanding of the rest to be enjoyed there, and thus bypassing and fly above visible realities while straining our attention to those of the next life that last forever. So this blessed man said by way of instructing us, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That reading again comes from homily 34 out of the homilies on Genesis by St. John Chrysostom. Oh, there's so much here, and Chrysostom is just rich with symbolism and with, there's more to this homily. We only got to a couple of paragraphs out of it. Uh, The whole homily is available uh, through Catholic University of America Press. There's the Fathers of the Church series. You can get the homilies on Genesis. Uh, It's a beautiful, beautiful homily, but ultimately it comes to this. The life I live I no longer live for myself. Christ lives in me, and we do that by looking beyond present realities and towards eternal realities. And that affects ourselves, but it also affects looking at those around us. Because if we're looking at that person according to their eternal reality and not according to the thing that irks us at the moment, it allows us to be ministers of reconciliation. It allows us to see that common humanity and common dignity and to behave in a way that transmits what we understand of God's love, that we would be ministers of that love, ministers of that reconciliation, and maybe just little sacred bleeding hearts. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.